Welcome to the Happy Homeschooler podcast, a digital support group for everyone interested in a learning lifestyle. I'm your host, Holly. I'm your co-host, Melody. Today, we're going to continue our How to Teach series. Last time, we spoke about how to teach math, and today we're going to focus on how to teach kids to read. But first, Melody, what have you been up to since we last chatted? Oh, well, you know, we, we just celebrated the 4th of July, so we had a lot of extra things going on at that time. And I guess the main thing I've been doing is uh, fulfilling some crochet orders. I popped some little things up with my craft snowball and generated some orders, and so that was fun. It's just been a nice, a really pleasant way to spend some downtime. I always like doing those things. How about you? What have you been up to? Well, um, actually, I'm trying to get my head wrapped around the fact that it's summer, and we only have about six or seven weeks until we go back to school, so we've been lining up a lot of fun activities to do with our friends, and this coming weekend, we're going to go see a production of a musical called Seussical, and it has some elements of Dr. Seuss That's in it. Fun, yes. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's free, and we've been going to some outdoor concerts and just looking for any kind of fun things we can do that are low or no cost, and um, trying to enjoy the season and it's been cooler here than it normally is for uh, central texas so we've been outside as much as we can be in the middle of all the rain that we don't normally have (laughs) it's been so different with the rain but it's been nice to have cooler weather i don't love the mosquitoes but we um we have enjoyed sitting on the porch and listening to the rain and the other day as we were sitting there we saw like there was a gully of water going down and here came a balloon floating I can't believe it didn't pop floating down the the curb all the way down the street. And I'm sure it was from, you know, 4th of July celebrations. Oh. But I don't know if we're easily entertained, but that was really funny watching it float down the road. So we've much. enjoyed, we, we enjoy spending time outside when it's a little bit cooler. Been nice. I, yeah, I saw that you are doing some calligraphy. Oh, I am. That is, I forgot to mention that. I thought it would be fun. I've always enjoyed calligraphy and uh, have been curious about brush pens. My daughter's an artist and has used some. And I decided to take some of my own good advice about mother culture and learn something new and do something a little bit challenging for myself. I'm having fun. Um, We'll see. (laughs) We'll see what it ends up looking like. (laughs) <laughs> but, you know, try new things. That's always good. Just exercise some different part of your brain. And the hard part is stopping to do that because oh. there are so many other, I mean, we're busy. And just to carve out a little few moments to stop and practice. I know. can understand that. I haven't painted any watercolors. Um, and I decided that this coming weekend I'm going to take some time. Uh, We've had birthday parties and things to go to also, lots of things going on. But I'm going to take some time to do some watercolors um, for myself this weekend. But, yeah, it is hard as a busy parent to make time. And, um, you know, when you're teaching and doing all those other things, um, you get you kind of put yourself on the back burner. Everybody knows that reading is important um, and it seems to cause some stress, doesn't it, Melody? Yes, it does. Different kinds of stress at different ages. If you've got a little one, you're stressed out because you want to do it right or teach them how to read. Or maybe your child is older and they're not reading well. And so people get stressed then. Or if you have someone in high school and maybe they're challenged by some of that uh, comprehending higher levels of reading, that can be a cause of stress, too. But we don't have to stress too much. There's really some we have good ways to approach reading at all levels. That's true. And I know that parents feel a lot of stress because they feel like if they don't get their kid to read, that their kid will never succeed in life. Um, However, most children have signs when they're ready to read. And if you look at the child and and cue into those reading readiness signs, you're going to get a great reader. Well, that's really important. Point because there are a lot of different schools of thought about when to start teaching reading. Some people are all about the earlier the better, and some people are, you know, better late than never. And there's a wide range of opinions about when you should start reading. Let's um, let's talk about that a little bit. 
Yes. Yeah, so I have um, several friends who are public school teachers. One was a pre-K teacher. One was a kindergarten teacher. One was a third grade teacher. And they all had plenty of things to tell me about reading and what they were expected to do. Um, it seems like every year the um, emphasis on teaching reading moves a grade earlier. So I remember when I was a, a child, we were really learning to read probably in first grade. Um, and then it seemed to shift to kindergarten. And then my friend who's a pre-K teacher told me that they were expecting her to be teaching her pre-K students to read, which really can be a problem because many children who are pre-K, that's four years old or five-year-old kids who didn't make the cutoff for kinder, they're not ready to read. So that's really, um, that's really causing a lot of stress for the teacher and the student in the public schools. Um, right, because then everybody's having to do the same thing. But if you're home and you have a child, some children are naturally earlier readers. And so then you have the flexibility when your child is ready to start. And if they're not start ready, wait. Oh, yeah. yeah. So if you're teaching um, a single student or a couple students at home, you've got much more latitude on when you're going to do this reading um, than you would in the public school. Public schools have their own uh, scope and sequence and agenda, and those teachers have to follow it and try to get the kids, you know, to come along. Uh, that's very stressful. But at home, you can wait. I had um, the spectrum. I had... Uh, my youngest daughter, who was ready to read at age four, she, I was trying to teach her brother, who's two and a half years older, and she said, can I try that? And I was like, oh, you're so cute. Sure. <laughs> and she did all the blends, and my mouth fell open, and I thought, oh, man, she's not even on my lesson plan for that. And then uh, her brother, who was six and a half at the time, he didn't actually learn to read until he was nearly 11. So... Um, Fortunately for him, he wasn't in a school where people his age were reading and he wasn't in, um, you know, the Bluebird reading group or whatever they they all yeah. you know have names. So the delayed readers are in their own group. He didn't feel super bad about himself that he wasn't reading because he, he was kind of mad that his little sister was reading. Probably. Uh, yeah, he, he did yell one time for her to get out of his school because um, <laughs> he didn't want her doing what he was doing. But it wasn't. It wasn't totally awful for him. Um, and so we had the opportunity to structure the lessons for their readiness. Um, and that's the benefit of homeschooling. Oh, it's true. I had a friend once with twins and they had that same uh, thing going on where one of them was ready and one of them was not. And she was looking for ways to make sure they both felt good about where they were and didn't worry about where somebody else was. But there are a lot of things that um, we talked about, what to watch for. How do you know if they're ready? And mm -hmm. one of the main things is if your children are asking about words and letters like your daughter did, can I try that? Or if they're mm -hmm. starting to attempt to, like they know that those those represent sounds and they're trying to sound things out. And, right. Uh, or reading their favorite book that they've memorized, but they're just mm -hmm. reading and reading all the time. And so... You watch for those little signs and signals that tell you they're ready. Right. And oftentimes that, that's accompanied by them wanting to write things like their name mm -hmm. or their pet's name or, you know, things like that. And that's that's when you can tell that their brain is is ready to start understanding that these letters have sounds specific to the letters. And when you put them together, you make words and until they have those signs, it's really trying to roll a boulder uphill. It's although there, yeah, although there are, um, you know, there are these schools of thought, uh, teach your baby to read, which I always thought, man, I just like to teach my baby to use the potty. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know, right. or, or the other school of thought, which is, um, hey, when they're ready, they'll read. And that actually does happen. Um in a, in a majority of cases, when you're not dealing with, um, you know, learning challenges. And I know that one of those main, another one of those things to watch for is when they can recognize their name on mm -hmm. something or the name of a store when they go by. They're just starting to connect that and be aware that print has meaning and they want to know more. And 
there are things that we can do to make sure that they're interested in learning language and reading. We always had, you know, books we read all the time. And so reading was something everybody wanted to do. We enjoyed our reading time. We always had magnets on the refrigerator and they were messing with them. And here, mom, read this. And it's something oh, like the little alphabet cute. magnets. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So impossible to so read words that we're sounding out, but they're catching on with the way that we play with letters and words, mm -hmm. that this is something we like and have fun with. Right. And you can play real casual games with your kids at that age, too, where you can say, uh, do you know what, what's the sound in the word cat? And they go, kuh, kuh, kuh. You know, mm -hmm. what's the sound in the word boy? Buh, buh, buh. All of that, you know, builds into teaching them to read. Now, I remember when I was uh, teaching my youngest son to read a few years ago, he's actually quite a good reader now. Um, but my husband was very disconcerted that I wasn't teaching him the alphabet in order because um, the reading program we were using introduced the letter sounds in a different way. But, you know, teaching them these things doesn't always go the way you think it's going to go. But it, eventually it all ties together and you have a reader. It's true. And I know when I first started, I didn't even use a curriculum. I came to homeschooling on the hills of teaching kindergarten. And so I just had a lot of those kinds of ideas floating around in my brain. I mean, I did pick up Ruth Beechick's book of uh, Home Start and Reading. And one of the things that she recommended was starting with the letters of their name or starting with just three or four letters and learning how to swap out the initial consonant or swap out the vowel or swap out the ending consonant. I mean, we just kind of played with it as we went. It wasn't very structured in the beginning, but as time went on, I did decide that it was helpful to have a curriculum that had it laid out for me so I could just, I mean, I had more children then. I didn't want to have to figure out where we were and I could just keep on going, but but, yeah, we don't have to teach it in order, and we don't have to do it in a lockstep, especially when your children go off on some interest and they want to know all there is to know about a certain thing. You just follow them. These are the things they want to sound out, and we just we just ran with it and had a yeah. lot of fun. It's putting together pieces of a puzzle. Um, you know, when you open up a box with a puzzle, it doesn't always have, you know, this little – linear timeline but eventually you put it together and reading can be like that especially if you have a kid that all of a sudden they're ready to read and they've gotten uh they've gotten a hold of a, some information you know then you kind of have to kind of fit what you're teaching around what they've already learned um and you see kids learning to read um from looking at logos and things too like they know that those yellow M's mean McDonald's mm -hmm. or, um, and, you know, any number of those things where you realize that they're kind of pre-reading. Another important part of teaching your kids to read isn't actually directly teaching them to read, but it's reading to them. Um, exactly. I think reading aloud is one of the most important things that we can do because that develops the why. Why do we want to be able to decode these letters so that we can read books? And I remember my youngest daughter, when she was wanting to know how to read, uh, after the first day, she's like, I, but I want to read books. <laughs> she just <laughs> learning to read the sounds of letters. She's like, yeah, but I want to read books. <laughs> Yeah, I think kids think when you say we're going to learn to read that all of a sudden they're going to be reading everything. Book, right. and it's kind of a laborious process. Um, and, you know, uh, some people are really good at reading to their kids when they're young and then they just kind of slack off. But it's really important to read aloud to your kids, even through high school. Um, because I'm a Charlotte Mason devotee, um, reading aloud is something that we do a lot of. And I remember when my oldest son Oh, he was about 14, I guess. He decided he was too old to listen to me read aloud. And I had gathered the other kids together, and I was reading aloud from um, Caddy Woodlawn. And every so often, yeah, I would I would read something. We would hear him laughing from the other room. And there's a very funny part in that book, which all my kids, all my grown-up kids still remember. If I say, remember Caddy Woodlawn, they'll say, if at first you don't fricassee, fry, fry a hen. And even my son, who wasn't, wasn't uh, you know, quote unquote, listening to the book, 
shouted it out from his bedroom. So um, <laughs> even if your high school kids act like they don't want you to read aloud to them, find reasons to do it. It's really important. Oh, we did. We read all the way through. I always tell people to read to your children until they're reading to their children. Um, because you just never get too old for a good read aloud. We used to read aloud and fold laundry after lunch. And so um, that way everybody had something to do. Their hands were busy and it was, you know, laundry was getting folded. That was a plus for me. And mm -hmm. we were all sitting there together. And then there's always that, oh, read one more chapter. Uh huh. It's like, mm, no. <laughs> Sometimes we would. Sometimes Always leave like them wanting more. Wanting more, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But we we had most of our read-alouds went with our unit study, and um, that was fun. But then, you know, if you have long trips by car, it's always good to find an audio book and let someone else do the reading aloud for you. And so that's another way to enjoy reading with your older kids. Yeah, actually, I've been doing that with Liam uh, this summer. So part of his requirement in the summer is that he has to read for 20 minutes a day and he is not super fond of reading um he likes to read things but he's not fond of being told to read so we have gone to the library and picked out some audiobooks um and gotten also the print book and he is following along in the print book while he's listening to the audiobook Oh, that's yeah. really good. I know sometimes yeah. we forget that there are different levels. And until they get to that independent level, when they're still at that instructional level, it's not like when we think, oh, I'm going to sit down and read for 20 minutes. It's not that easy for them yet. So Right. It's a lot of work for them. For it's sure. a good idea to have that audio book to read along with it. Mm hmm. Yeah, we got um, we did um, Charlotte's Web last week and this week we're going to do The Secret Garden, which is on the list of additional free reading that is suggested for Charlotte Mason. And I thought, well, this is great. And here's the other thing with the audiobook, um, He will do extra, which I think is very amusing. So he went through Charlotte's Web quite fast. But if I'd had him just reading the chapters, he would probably still be trying to read it. Um, but he really enjoyed the audiobook. And when I said, let's get an audiobook again this week, he was very enthusiastic. So um, that's the other thing is that you really want to create an enthusiasm in your kids for reading. Um, you can you can be tricky, too. I used to get books out of the library that I wanted my kids to read, but I didn't tell them to read them. And I left them out like on the coffee table. Just leave them laying around. Just yeah. leave them lying around. <laughs> and then they they would they would read the book and tell me, oh, I read such and thus. And I and I feigned surprise oh you did oh well tell me about that <laughs> oh clever mom oh uh, you know lazy homeschooling <laughs> <laughs> that's clever uh but we did the same sort of thing or we would start reading and then maybe things got busy and we didn't finish and lo and behold they would pick it up and finish it on their own but i really don't satisfying it is and i wanted my children to be to have reading as a a pastime that they could enjoy throughout their life and so that's why we want to really wet the whistle for we really want to have reading be something we look forward to we're going to take a short break to hear a word from our sponsor when we get back we'll discuss more ways to make reading enjoyable for parent and child Today's episode is sponsored by Transcript Maker, an online service that allows you to create professional high school transcripts from the comfort of your own home you know, I am already seeing back to school stuff in the store and it's stressful. It feels like the summer is being rushed. Oh, it does. I'm not quite ready. Well, I am the girl that likes to go visit that aisle. Like I always go over there and look. That's probably too much information. I do have a fondness for office and school supplies, yeah. too. But I don't really want to see like that center aisle. It just all of a sudden has exploded in school supplies, which I would like what happened to the beach balls and what did you do at the beach towels? And I'm quite ready for all that back to school stuff to be popping out there. That's for sure. Well, that's one reason why I like Transcript Maker, because it gives you the opportunity to set things up in advance. Like you can make a course status for the courses your child will be taking and have your transcript ready to go before the new school year even starts. Well, that's a really good idea. People can go and look and see what 
Transcript Maker is all about at www.transcriptmaker.com. This is a good time. Take advantage of that 14-day free trial and see what it's all about, see how good it is, and uh, give it a test drive. Yes, and Happy Homeschooler podcast listeners can save 20% off their subscription when they use our exclusive coupon code HAPPY, H-A-P-P-Y, in all caps. Remove the time crunch and get back to enjoying your summer break. Transcript Maker. Simply better transcripts. Welcome back to the podcast. In the first half, we talked about the signs of reading readiness, when to teach reading, and the importance of reading to your kids. But as we all know, sometimes kids don't want to read. Isn't that right, Melody? That's true. And when that happens, then our job is to figure out what the roadblock is and what is the cause of the resistance. Yeah, sometimes um, it's physical issues with um, children's sight. My youngest daughter um, was very farsighted. We didn't realize this. Um, And she actually got her first pair of glasses at the age of six. And um, I'm amazed that she did learn to read as early as she did. She was very um, She's the one that learned early. She's the one that learned at four. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Well, I had a daughter with vision problems, too. She had astigmatism in both eyes. And we were not aware. And so we noticed, you know, when you're a mom, you notice things about your children. She was squinting at things. and. Uh, it took her in to get, but it was causing those letters to flip and reverse and or transpose. And so there was a little bit of a struggle. She still, she went, she was fine at the beginning when the print is large and dark and bold. But when like between third and fourth grade where it starts to lighten up in smaller print, she began to have difficulty. So I knew she could read and we had to figure out, you know, what the problem was. And then I, uh, knew of a child who had a hearing issue that's another thing that can make it hard to read because you can't hear the sounds that the letters are supposed to be making and one little guy in my kindergarten class had 70 percent hearing loss and oh part of you know part of his behaviors in the classroom were cues to what was going on Um, but I was amazed that he had done as well as he had with the hearing loss so Physical issues are really like one of the first things to check if someone is resisting or reluctant to to read. Right. And then um, we also run into um, learning issues like dyslexia Mm -hmm. or um, ADD. Um, And we had talked, we had an episode about uh, talking a little bit about dyslexia and how one of the ways you can get a hint if your child may be dyslexic is that they can't rhyme. So if your child is having trouble reading and they don't really get rhyming, they may be dyslexic. And uh, kids with ADD, sometimes they just can't focus very well on what you're trying to teach them. So if your child is getting to the age where, you know, they're not reading maybe by 10, 11, you probably want to have some, um, you know, assessments done. My my middle son, he struggled with reading, and he is on the um, autism spectrum, and he didn't learn to read until he was almost 11. And so right about the time when I began thinking, well, we're going to have to go get some assessments, mm-hmm. all of a sudden he went from reading words to short sentences to paragraphs, and it was amazing. And his everything came together, and he was finally ready. Um, you know, so it's okay to delay for a while, but you also want to keep an eye on it. Um, and if they're not making any progress, you know, it could be some learning issues at, at play there, causing them to not want to read. That's true. And I've had people wondering uh, what they should do while they're waiting for that readiness and everything to come together and click in. And one of those main things that you keep doing is reading aloud. And so the level of the books you're reading is going to go up with their age and their grade level. But you keep that love of reading alive and you don't um, like just, you don't keep beating a dead horse and working on things that they're obviously not quite ready to learn. You just keep reading out loud to them. I'm glad you brought that up because my son who was delayed, he was very good at listening to the read alouds and we, we use narration as a way to judge comprehension which we're also going to talk about um, in this um, in the second half but 
I could tell what he understood and he could express himself at or above what his grade level was. And um, by listening to the story and telling it back or drawing a picture. So there are ways, like you said, to keep the reading aspect of your education with your delayed reader going. Another thing that people often don't realize is that sometimes your child's brain needs a little break to process what you've been pouring into them. So we did take a short break from reading instruction with him. Um, And then when we got back to reading instruction, his brain had been doing a lot of work and he was able to do more of the reading um, work himself. Right. You just have to. That's and that's where it comes in, where you're a student of your students, so to speak, where you're observing and watching and seeing what's going on. And sometimes you just like you said, you pull back a little and wait. Mm -hmm. Waiting is hard, though. We, We feel like we should do something. Right. We're, we're all in, especially in our society, we're all about progress and, you know, check marks. And did you meet this thing here at this time? And yeah, not feeling like you're not doing anything. It can be excruciating. But like you said, if we keep on reading to our children, even while maybe they are not actively doing the reading themselves, we are creating progress. We are. And, you know, we mentioned once before about how, um, Hands-on activities are preparing the brain for reading, and that's another thing. Like I had one of my my middle son, uh, my youngest son, very hands-on, very wiggly. Like not, he doesn't have ADD, but he's just a wiggly, kinesthetic person. And so there were times where the better thing to do was to go and do something with. Uh, movement outside climbing trees other things we did other things he was still plodding along learning to read and anytime we added some kind of a physical aspect to it he progressed more quickly but the reading aloud to that little one was kind of challenging for me because he was so wiggly and um i just he's the one that had to sit like to the side or like out of my peripheral vision (laughs) so he could (laughs) roll around on the floor or swing something back and forth and you know we did things like play with legos or i mentioned folding towels but mm-hmm. not always but that that little guy and for all of the movement if he was moving his ears were open and things were going in if he had to be still that's all he could do so he that was over the there concentration yes all of it right mm-hmm. <laughs> right so we did a lot of you know allowed for that movement that's the way he learned and um, we just incorporated that in. But yes, he had to sit where I couldn't be distracted by all the wiggling <laughs> that was going over there. It's kind of funny now. But then if we had narration or telling back or I mean, he just knew everything that he could narrate that whole story. So I knew it was working. Right. Yeah. And that's that's the value of having narration. Um, you know, in high school or even uh, a little earlier than high school, maybe middle school or junior high, you do want to have your children read and then have maybe some written comprehension questions that they have to write an answer to. But for younger children, narration is valuable and it can help you to know whether or not they were able to follow the story. And can they tell the story back in a sequential order? What happened in the beginning, the middle, the end? Can they give you information about what a character did? Um, That helps you to know if they really did pay attention. It's true. And that's the other part of reading aloud where you can discuss a character and their motivations or why do you think they did that? And do we know anybody like that? And have you ever been in that situation? All of those are Mm -hmm. things just discussing a good story helps those books come alive and you know, like we all have those books that are good old friends that we don't mind reading again because they're just full of people that we really enjoyed spending time with. Mm-hmm. And that's the that's the difference between the books we read to our kids and the books that they may choose to read for themselves. So we're going to be reading things at or above their grade level, exposing them to great ideas, to concepts, to situations. Um, a lot of times parents are really dismayed when they work so hard to bring great literature to their kids and then their son's reading Captain Underpants. But really, that's OK. Um, kids it are is. often going to read things at a lower comprehension level or a lower grade level than what uh, we're working with them on academically. 
Um, right, the point and we is, want that. Yeah, we want them to be able to find pleasurable reading for themselves, even if it's not necessarily what we would deem as quality literature. True, true. But that independent reading is often at a at an enjoyable level. We, I mean, even as we talked about the idea of having a stiff book and an easy read for us, you don't want your child's not going to pick up the book that frustrates him. He's going to mm-hmm. pick up something that's an easy read to pass the time. And then those instructional books are just a little bit harder and a little bit more challenging. And sometimes we're expecting them to read something that totally frustrates them. And that's where everything kind of comes to a screeching halt. Right. And if they start to associate reading with frustration, that's the opposite of what we're trying to achieve. Right. We don't want to do that. So we want those books, those fun books that they read. Or not too long ago, my grandchildren were over and they were playing The Legend of Zelda. And so there's quite a bit of reading in there. And the little ones had to run, get an older cousin to come because it was going too fast to come and, you know, read the clue. And where am I supposed to go? And I was just watching all that going on and thinking, oh, look at that. They're they need to read. They want to read mostly so they can be, you know, self-sufficient on this game. But reading is important, had value so they could get to the next level. My uh, youngest son also um, had been working hard to improve his reading so he could play The Legend of Zelda with his brother. And uh, his brother kept saying, yeah, you're, you're not old enough to do it yet because you're not reading well enough. And boy, <laughs> it was a happy day when he was finally able to get into that game and play it because his reading had improved so much. And that that's the whole purpose of reading, right, is that we want to uh, learn to read so we can read to learn. So we can use reading as a, like as a key to unlock a door, uh, whatever that door may be. Now, my middle son, he's not a great uh, reader of literature, but he reads a lot of technical things. He likes to build computers and he reads lots of instructional and technical things. That's what makes him happy. Um, and then my oldest son, he is a great reader of fiction and he's he plows through books so fast. And that's what makes him happy. And I'm just thrilled I got to be a part of it. And that's the best part, I think, of being a home educator is uh, teaching your children to read and then seeing them read. Oh, my gosh. That's just the gift that keeps on giving. Oh, it's true. And then it's so fun when you've read the same books and you can discuss them or you end up with a lot of inside jokes with the family where somebody will say a phrase from a book and it just, you know, sums up a situation and everybody knows what you're talking about. Yes, that is just the best. I I don't know. I still just get so thrilled anytime those kinds of things pop up um, because a lot of people, um, if their children attend public school, they haven't gotten to have the fun of being in on that. They've gotten to see their children, um, you know, become readers. And that's mm-hmm. exciting and it's satisfying. But when you were part of the person who helped to decode all that for your child, man, that is just some satisfaction that you never get over oh it's true I love that I just it was one of those that's one of the highlights definitely one of the highlights and then you know going to the library and bringing home the piles and piles of books and seeing what they go and choose and like you I had a son who was always over there with the books of information bringing home like everything the library had on a certain topic or somebody else's into fiction and reading their way through a whole series just really fun to get to know your kids and their interests by what they choose to read on their own. Exactly. Reading is the key to so many things. And um, we were talking about reading comprehension. um, And especially in high school, it's really key that your children practice their reading comprehension skills, particularly if they're planning to go to college. Um, When they take the ACT or the SAT, Both of those tests will have reading comprehension and reading components. And so, um, you know, we don't stop working on teaching reading once our children are reading. It's a it's a whole process from kindergarten all the way through college where they um, reading is key to the success they're looking to achieve later in life. What resources have you used for your high school students, Melody, uh, for reading comprehension? We had some guides that went with some of the books, but most of our reading comprehension was through discussion and narration. And I 
had some questions like after this reading questions that we asked and so most of it was discussion but recently I was working with some high schoolers who were preparing for the SAT and we were working through the um, online test practices that are available and those um, those reading comprehension sections are pretty sturdy <laughs> pretty stiff reading and I found them challenging. I was like, okay, I'm glad I have the answer key because I, I can read and figure out my answer and see if I was right. But mm -hmm. if your child is headed that way, you definitely want to practice that comprehension with them. Some of the things that the questions are pulling out are not necessarily what you would expect. That's for sure. And we'll have um, some links for the SAT and ACT reading um, in the show notes. Now, when we talk about teaching kids to read, what were you some of your favorite uh, reading resources for beginning to teach kids, you know, teaching beginning readers? I mean, oh, teaching beginning readers. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, well, Ruth Beechick was one of my favorites, and she had a little pamphlet, like a home start in reading and a strong start in language and a good start in math, I think. But I love the simplicity of her ideas in a home start in reading because we could do it with things I had at home. And we started out with one letter and a vowel and another consonant, put those together. And just that whole walking you through the steps in reading, pre-reading, getting them ready, not trying to rush blending. You can't rush blending. Mm -hmm. they, they just either they get it or they don't. There's something clicks in the brain mm -hmm. and how to just walk them through there. And so I did a lot of those kind of things with my kiddos. And then um, there's a book, Games for Reading, by Peggy Kay, which I also liked because um, she talked about games that you could play to help um, reinforce what they were learning. And those were games are really important because kids want to play games. And so that's a really good way, especially to teach someone who maybe is acting like they don't want to learn. You can just trick them along with a game. Um, Talking about Ruth Beechick, I just want to say um, I've got the same books in front of me, um, The Home Start in Reading and The Strong Start in Language. Those are intended for kinder to third grade. Um, she also had a book called You Can Teach Your Child Successfully, which was for grades four through eight. But um, when you were talking about blending, so, um, you know, we start off teaching kids with single consonant words like cat and dog. But blending would be when you put two consonants together, like the word blend has BL. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, that's a, a skill that kids don't have right away. Um, and so uh, the book, A Home Start in Reading, talks about how to do that. Right. And even also just so that they're not calling the sound of each letter, like k, at, but the ability to to draw those sounds out and connect them together so that you end up with cat instead of cat. Right. And I think that one book that's really helpful for that is Teach Your Child to Read in 100 Easy Lessons. Mm. Because from the beginning, that one will have kiddos like say it slowly and then you try to say it fast. And so mm -hmm. it kind of walks children through that, that blending stage. They still don't necessarily get it until they get it. But between all of those approaches out there as long as you keep exposing them to how to do it at some point it does click and then they they can recognize those words with, without sounding out each letter and also just telling them if you know that word is cat you can just go ahead and say cat you don't have mm -hmm. to say cat <laughs> and you know it's interesting because um i've used several different programs and all of them are phonics based which i think um you know that's just the best way to teach reading but it's interesting because some of them will teach um, like at you learn that sound and then you put the letter in front of it at bat cat mm -hmm. sat and some of them teach in another way but they all get to the same point and so don't stress out too much about which phonics program you get I used them um, a Becca when I uh, was teaching my first five kids, well, my first three kids to read. And then I used um, Sing, Spell, Read, and Write for my fourth kid. And now um, for my youngest child, um, I'm using uh, Phonics Pathways. And what I've noticed is that it doesn't really matter which one you use. The, the only reason I changed from a Becca 
to uh, sing, spell, read, and write is because my fourth son, the one who was a delayed reader, he responded a lot better to uh, music and, and puzzles and activities, which sing, spell, read, and write had uh, quite a bit of. And um, and then phonics pathways I chose because uh, when my youngest daughter graduated, um, we thought we were done homeschooling. And then... Uh, <laughs> surprise we we started up again uh we had our had our sixth little guy come along and i didn't have uh, the money to spend on a becca and i had gone to um, a bookstore and they had phonics pathways for about eight dollars and since i'd already taught five people to read i felt pretty sure i could do use it. this book yeah, yeah and so um so yeah i've used a lot of different programs and they're all going to be satisfactory it just has to do a lot with how your kid learns and mm -hmm. so if one isn't working very well, um, you might try another one or borrow one from a friend um, and see if you have a, you know, a better fit. I really do like that phonics approach. I know there's still some people that uh, make a case for just sight reading, but our language is a symbol and a sound relationship. And so you, if you don't have the tools and you come up to a word you haven't memorized yet, you really don't have a place to start. So. I really right. like you going at it that way. And then we even used uh, the writing road for reading to learn spelling, which is also connected to the sounds. And mm -hmm. that program was a little bit stiff and I didn't use it exactly as it was written, but it was it worked well for us, at least the way that we modified it. Sure. And uh, I think there are some that are a little more parent friendly out there now. That's true. Um, another thing, uh, most every phonics program I've used has incorporated into it our sight words because we just have some words that you can't do anything other than memorize them. When my oldest daughter was in public school, they were doing whole language learning, which I call mm -hmm. whole guest learning. <laughs> because yes. it, it is a lot yes. of letting the kids just try to guess what the words meant. When I took her out of public school at the end of first grade, I actually had to teach her to read all over again. She had some of the rudiments, but um, she did not have a strong phonics foundation. And so um, I, I don't have much to say favorably about whole language learning. And I'm really glad that it seems to kind of gone by the wayside. It was a, a big experiment for a while in the 90s. Mm -hmm. I had a brother in school at that time, and it was not a good idea for him. Yeah, I, I have to say I, I'm a big proponent of phonics, and you can find phonics programs at every price point. So there's one that should fit your budget and hopefully work well with you and your child's uh, learning and teaching styles. That's true, and I just uh, friends of mine are using the Good and the Beautiful, which has a lot of materials online for free. The whole thing, so. All the price points, anything you want, you can find a good program to walk you through. And talking about price points, uh, let's not forget to mention Khan Academy, which uh, can cover you from kinder to uh, high school and college prep. They have a lot of resources there, too. That's especially good to mention for college prep. I'm glad you said that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they do have SAT prep on their site now, too, so. No reason not to get your kid as prepared as possible with such great resources out there. So here at the end of our podcast, we sometimes have a big question and we've often looked around our homeschooling groups to see what people are talking about. What's the topic today, Melody? Well, a lot of people are starting to talk about co-ops for the fall and they're wanting to know how do I find a good co-op and what does it require of me and what is a co-op? And so I think it'd be a good idea to talk about co-ops. That's that's a very good thing to talk about. And also, um, like this month and next month are crunch time for finding a co-op. Um, a lot of homeschoolers start back to school uh, mid-August or the end of August. And so it's very timely. What would you uh, define a co-op as, Melody? Well, in our area, a co-op, what I think of a co-op, is where a group of families come together and cooperatively teach each other's children. And so it's parent involvement. The parents are teaching the classes and assisting in the classes. And usually they're meeting in a, a church or like there might be a meeting space in a library where you've, and usually like a morning, one morning a week, and usually for us about three hours. So three mm -hmm. classes 
And then um, it takes a lot more organization than you might think to pull that off. But the kiddos really benefit from having those extra outside classes. Sometimes they're academic classes and sometimes they're uh, enrichment or for fun. And Yes, uh, co-ops are great fun, but you're right. They do require pre preparation and work on the parent part. We were involved in several co-ops and in general um, what we were expected was as the parent you would teach one class you would assist another teacher in a class and you would have um, an hour off for your own um, you know downtime and we uh, we typically all ate lunch together so um, our Friday morning co-op to prepare for it was um, you know making lunches the night before and getting backpacks ready and uh, making sure the kids had all the things they needed for their their class and that's um you know that's wonderful to help homeschool children to understand what it is to be prepared to be in a classroom situation um not you know we're homeschooling because we don't want all of those things but it is good for our kids to have some experience with that learning to um you know wait for somebody else to talk and to get things prepared ahead of time and to organize the materials so co-ops are great fun um what people sometimes call a co-op is actually an enrichment academy. Um, and that's where you drop your kid off and you pay a fee and other people teach your child and you don't have to be involved. So um, it's really important to know what it is you're looking for when you're asking the question on your um, homeschool support groups, because your answers will be very different based on whether you want a co-op or an enrichment academy. Exactly, and both of those have fill a need in the community. I find a lot of people in, in the high school ages wanting someone else to teach their child chemistry or biology or do something with labs. And then at the uh, other end of that, uh, for a co-op situation, it's a great, we usually had a PE class because our co-op friend, just like yours, so it's an opportunity to have a PE class where you've got enough people to play certain games mm -hmm. or things where you can uh, have a group, where you need a group. I find that both of those, some people do both, some people do one or the other. It just depends on what season of life you're in at your, for your family. But you make a good point to know what you're asking about. Not a park day and not a school, but <laughs> something in between. Right. Um, and what would you say are the hallmarks of a good co-op? That is a good question. I think that the best, our favorite co-op situation or experience was a really well organized. We had some moms are just naturally gifted with organization and leadership skills. And this co-op had um, times, you know, deadlines for signing up, deadlines for choosing your classes we had a good class list for the teachers everyone was on the same page as far as what we wanted our kids to have at the end uh, we shared similar ideas similar faith similar beliefs but overall even though there was there was variety the bottom line was that everybody was going to be gracious to one another certain things we just didn't talk about outside of co-op because it wasn't relevant to the teaching that was going mm -hmm. on and that co-op ran really well and is still running. Um, we're not involved in it, but a lot of participation. I think that was the other thing. A successful co-op has parents who know they're going to be involved. Mm -hmm. And those moms are amazing. And dads. We had mm -hmm. moms and dads teaching. And sometimes we had high school students or graduates come back and teach a class. And sometimes we had grandparents coming in mm -hmm. to teach some classes. So we... It grew out of community or else it became a community one way or the other. It's kind of hard to tell. But that community had great connections and a really good environment. So it was very positive. And that was that's our favorite, favorite one. It was just that's why I feel like that one was such a good co-op. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, the co-ops that we were in that were really enjoyable also were very well run. They had a board or a committee that oversaw all the aspects of it. They had um, they had things written down that were expectations of yes. all the members, and they they made sure everybody um, knew what those expectations were. Um, so I think that you know that's the kind of thing you're looking for. Now, if you are in a busy time of your life, maybe you've got some little kids 
Um, and then you've got some elementary school kids. You know, a co-op might not be the best thing. Um, I see a lot of people who have a kindergartner and they say, oh, and I have a toddler and they're looking for a co-op. That might really cause you some stress. In that case, you might want to look for park days, uh, low commitment activities so that if, um, you know, the baby needs a nap and you don't show up, it's not going to impact other people. Um, mm -hmm. And then, you know, when you get a little your kids get a little older, um, then co-ops might be good. So you also have to kind of look at the season of life you're in and what other activities are going on around you. Because while co-ops can be hugely fun and a great benefit to your homeschool, if you jump in at the wrong time in your, in your life season, they'll just add stress to your life. I mean, you do have a little stress because, you know, there's a lot going on. But <laughs> there's, good, yeah. there's good stress. And then there's um, stress that Stressful makes you want to, you know, hide under your bed. Because right, it's, yeah. a, it's a commitment. You're making a commitment and people are depending on you and you can't just wake up and decide not to go. <laughs> right. Or just wing it when you show up. Oh, just we didn't prepare and we don't know what we're going to do. But, you know, that's not going to go over well either. So I hope everybody can find a great co-op if that's what they're looking for. And um, I would love to hear what people are doing this fall, what kind of groups they are joining with their kiddos. If you have any homeschooling questions or comments, you can email us at happyhomeschoolpod at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram at happyhomeschoolpod. Like our page and join the Happy Homeschooler podcast group on Facebook as well. And be sure to subscribe to our channel on YouTube. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Holly. I'm Melody. Happy, Happy homeschooling. homeschooling. Hi. This is your host, Holly Williams-Zerbaum. Thank you for listening to the Happy Homeschooler podcast, a transcript maker production. My co-host is Melody Gillum. This episode was produced by Matthew Bass and edited by Nora Williams. Our graphic design is by Pete Soloway, and our music is by The Great Pangolin. You can find her music on YouTube and Twitter at Kylie Wins. That's K-A-I-L-E-Y Wins. If you'd like to help our podcast grow, Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Or as always, tell people about us. And when I took her out of public school at the end of first grade, oh. <laughs> that was my microphone.